0: Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech,
1: oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks.
2: Hello nice. there dearies. Welcome to a very special episode of Undersample Radio, episode 71. I am your host, Fernando Sigler. Today we have an awesome episode for you guys. On the show, we have the relatively unknown, Matt Hall of Agile Geoscience and Graham Gansel of Expero, Known for their massive online exp- presence, their work organizing hackathons worldwide, their influence within the Software Underground Slack team, which you can find on SoftwareUnderground.org, and their work on this undersampled radio podcast. So, today we have this awesome show where I've gotten about 14 people asking questions. So, today I'm here to interview you guys. First, not really a question but more of a request. (laughs) Matt, can you do a thick New Orleans accent? Graham, can you do a thick British accent?
0: Oh yes, go, go.
1: You (laughs) first.
0: Wait, wait, let me me do the accent first and then I'll tell you the embarrassing story that goes along with it. Embarrassing for Matt, not for me. Hello, Matt here. (laughs) This is my British accent by the way. We're down under, apparently my british accent sounds australian
2: that sounds awful
0: yeah oh wait the story wait 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 let me tell you the story okay when we first started and we may have told this on the show once or twice before and in fact we may have introed the show once before with this when we were planning under sampled radio before (laughs) the first before the zeroth episode i had to build some uh audio assets as placeholders to see how the um all the pieces would fit together and Matt was busy doing something important so i I just recorded his bit in my uh Australian british whatever that was accent and it the, the recording still exists today so we need to find that uh I put it out there
1: but well, we did change it did we <laughs> we did as far as yeah, I know not... we did yeah i I'm Whoa. not very good at regional accents Come on. Right now Orleans. To I'll give you that freebie. Can can i I'd like to hear Graham do New Orleans and then I'll see if I can. Hey Shah, why don't you come get some gumbo?
0: That's okay, Just speak. I'm pretty what sure. What does Shah mean,
2: mean? I can just get us insulted.
0: <laughs> well, now I've insulted the entire continent of Europe and uh, most of Louisiana. Shah means um hey baby. All right.
2: All right. Well, so, I'm, basically, I just wanted to start off with that just kind of as an icebreaker. Uh, Wait, you're going to let general, him dodge that I, I told you. I'll, that I'll one do the rest of the show, and uh, how about questions. this? I'll answer
1: every question in a different accent. You <laughs> like that? All right. <laughs> All right, so just to kind of get like started,
2: I have a series speak. of questions, and they kind of go from the easier how you got here to, again, uh, I guess, a little bit more general, easier questions to what you guys are doing now, and then what a lot of people call the more serious, hopefully I can get a rant started. Uh, <laughs> I, I have it's a lot of questions. <laughs> and like I said earlier today, uh, there was 14 people that submitted questions. So with all the questions that I do have, I don't think I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to be able to ask all of these. So I do want to go ahead and apologize to our viewers if I don't get to your questions. I'll try to get to them. If I can't, I can't. I'll post all the questions on the show notes, and then maybe Graham or Matt want to do a post about some of these answers or whatnot. So I'll leave that up to them.
0: It's like the lightning round.
2: It is. So first question, Um, and this is mostly for Matt, i guess to to some of our listeners uh they a lot of this started with agile geophysical which is now Agile scientific how did that get started and how did you and evan meet and then eventually how did you and graham meet
1: right uh well i um actually met evan at a conference um I'm not sure what year it would have been, but like late 2000s, and uh, liked him immediately. We got on, and uh, I was working in oil sands at the time at ConocoPhillips, and suggested that he, I, I can't quite remember, but he he ended up applying for a job, and we in fact offered him a job, um, but unfortunately, he couldn't take it because his wife had got a residency at, in Halifax at the Children's Hospital. She's a training at the time was a training pediatrician, she is now a pediatrician, and, um, and so we, we weren't able to hire him, and I, I remembered this, so that, that happened in like 2007, something like that. And then, uh, I guess I, uh, for various reasons, we, my wife and I had sort of lived in Calgary for 10 years, been with ConocoPhillips for five years, fancied a change, we decided to move to Nova Scotia, it was a bit random, to be honest i can't really totally explain that uh decision and um and when when we did that i was like oh right now i have to i'm gonna have to find a way to make a living and essentially i i I tried to keep my job at conco phillips i said like can i can i move to nova scotia and still work here and they were like no so uh the i formed a company you know started it essentially the day we arrived in nova scotia and um, remembered Evan, and that he was in Halifax, called him and said, I've started this company, I don't know what it is, Uh, do you wanna come work for me? And amazingly, he said yes, and uh, also worked for me for probably two or three months before he even got paid, which was pretty awesome of him, uh, and something I'll never forget, And, uh, and here we are. So that was in 2010, late 2010. Does that mean you owe him back pay? I don't wonder if I ever did.
0: The power of compound interest.
1: <laughs> okay, just writing a sticky note to myself. Uh, I hope he's not watching this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> um, I, I mean, Evan's uh, a unique individual, and you know, we've Agile's done amazing things. I think for a tiny company, um, in large part due to his energy and enthusiasm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Graham. I guess we met in New Orleans in 2015, I want to say. The,
0: no, to, uh, I, th- I don't know, I thought it was the end of 2014. It doesn't matter.
1: It, somewhere somewhere like that, at, at SCG, we were doing the hackathon and I got in touch with Graham actually through through LinkedIn and, and okay. was like, hey, can you help me find people to come to this hackathon? And I was and, like, uh, no,
0: but I'll point you to the beer aisle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be there. So yeah, that was uh, 2015 and we, I guess we, when did we start the podcast? Was it six months last
2: later? episode you said two yeah. years ago?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there must've been like literally uh three or four, four five months after we met. How's mm-hmm. that for a flash in the pan romance? Nice. Uh, that answers the, the question Never and actually same.
2: answered another question along the way. Uh, this was more for Graham. You're welcome. <laughs> how did you, right, jump you get into geophysics? I guess you came from a pure physics background. Uh, how did you get into geophysics?
0: First, let me start by saying thank you for having me on the show. Uh it's wonderful to be here. And uh thank you to my mom for all the encouragement over the years. Um, geophysics <laughs> was the, a natural dad.
2: extension. Not your dad. I'm sorry.
0: Go ahead. <laughs> I don't. know, I feel like I don't watch many award shows, but I feel like there's a lot of mothers thanked. Okay. Are there a lot of fathers hmm. thanked? We should. We should uh, do a data science project where we figure out the highest, the family numbers uh, rankings of, of uh, appreciation. What Was it all right? About? I'm sorry. Geophysics. To go back. <laughs> geophysics. Geophysics. Yeah. So as you can see, uh, I am highly distractible. And uh, I like to work on new shiny things. And one of those new shiny things I found one day was inverse problems, woo! So this was during undergrad. And I started picking around with some wave propagation stuff, doing uh, inverse, yeah, like inversion problems using wave propagation system of equations. And I bumped into a friend of a friend of a friend at a football game we started talking about yeah this is the south we meet everybody at football games right uh we started talking about geophysics and how he didn't he wanted some help with some of the math stuff that he was doing so i showed up at his office the next monday and said hey i can do that and he said well come on in so that was it that was all she wrote so
2: that kind of goes into the follow-up question that the same uh listener had when you make your transition um i mean did you have to learn a whole new thing with geoscience or do you think it's all the same to you and just with rocks
0: i had i should have learned this whole new thing called geology but instead of doing that (laughs) i (laughs) kind of munged my way along learning little bits and bobs the guy that i was working for was a geologist um, classically trained in sequence strat i don't i don't remember what he was what his uh, graduate school was in but um he taught me about rocks while i taught him about math which is why that relationship worked out so well and why i stuck around afterwards
2: no, that that's fine. That's fine. And everybody has their story. I mean my background's in physics, and I jumped into geophysics. And the only reason I did that is because I lost the bet. But we're not talking about me. That's talking about games, about so that's another story. So to follow on with our interview here, now it goes to the easier questions. This is for both of you. What professor, what profession Fingers other than positive. your chosen one, would you have liked to attempt? Or do you see yourself doing?
0: Sorry, I missed the I missed the the key part of that statement.
2: What profession other than the one you're doing oh. right now would you like to attempt doing or you see yourself
0: doing? Profession, I see. Stunt driver. The next question. Stunt driver. <laughs> <laughs> um Matt, you tried a couple other things, right?
1: Did I? What what are you thinking of? <laughs> Not that time in the Red Bull air race is what I was thinking of. Um who,
0: Red Bull Air Race. Sorry, hold on. Okay, so wh- one more digression. <laughs> if you look up that Matt who, Hall on Google, the other... Red Bull Air Race pilot comes up first, and then and then you see Matt Hall of Nova Scotia.
1: Hey, um, and he's he's the same age as me. Like we're very close in age. I so just, I feel like maybe maybe we got mixed switched at birth. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a
0: serious answer to this question, which is that I am doing something different now. So we were talking about geophysics, but I don't do geophysics anymore. Mm, and okay. I'm very excited about that. I was, and I had been talking to to Matt about this for a while now. I was getting a little bit jaded or distanced from enthusiasm in the geophysical space for a while, for a few years. Mm -hmm. And um, when I started playing with more, uh, more statistical methodologies, but machine learning specifically, I found myself reading less and less geophysics and and reading more and more archive, right, and things related uh, to deep learning. So I think, so my my serious answer to your question is that I would like to try doing what I'm doing now, which is deep learning, machine learning, data science. All
2: right. Yeah,
0: nice.
1: Yeah. yeah um, do you have
2: any profession?
1: Well, I don't know. My first sort of reaction was that I'd, I tend not to see my career definitely, but any career really as being that clearly defined so that you might say i'm yeah. I'm this or i'm that um' because uh, my first thought was well i do, well, you know I like to just try random things um easily distracted i guess like uh, like graham but um but actually there was there was another path that, I, that I, I I don't like to say I almost took because it's not like I went to college for three years and studied it or anything. But I mean, the the sort of other path that I was interested in as a teenager was typography. And um, I'm, I'm still a bit of a sort of typography enthusiast, I suppose, and um, spent many hours as a teenager drawing typefaces and uh it's taking care of my rotorings things like that <laughs> i was kind of obsessed with i was obsessed with the repeatographs and drawing film and the utensils of that craft and uh one of the reasons i love geology actually was um making maps and drawing uh, on drawing film uh, very carefully with lots of messy ink and I get I, at one point it looked like that whole profession, not cartography, well, maybe cartography as well, uh, those professions looked really threatened by the digital sort of revolution or whatever. In fact, I think I saw something the other day that was like, was it XKCD or something? It was like time and like typographic quality in books and reports. And it went through this really rough patch in the 90s where computers were rubbish basically and so people were using awful fonts and no design sense whatsoever. I mean look at remember websites in like the 90s and um, and now of course it's turned around and there's probably more type designers today than they've ever been. Um, It's like you have a
2: problem against Comic Sans or something. I don't know why.
1: I I, I actually don't get over excited about if you if, if that's you trying to start a rant i don't <laughs> i don't not, not <laughs> i didn't actually uh get over excited about comic sans or or any um font so maybe i'm not a real typographer <laughs> but uh yeah so going
2: from there uh and i mean i don't know i guess you kind of talked about perhaps trying to attempt doing it or whatnot but i don't know how far you ever got but maybe kind of related or not related. What accomplishments are you mostly proud of? Are they related to typography, cartography, or? (laughs)
1: Um, My professional accomplishment, I sort of find it hard to think about my career in terms of accomplishments. Uh, My kids are my best accomplishment by a long way. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty. Pleased about how the books that we've done turned out. I, I, okay. Those were a complete unknown, and um, I really enjoyed. I've enjoyed working on those, and I hope we manage to do some more because <laughs> they're not very easy. But um, yeah, I'm. I'm really. I'm really proud of what we've done with Agile. But I mean, that's pretty self uh, self centred. But you know, I like how what it looks people? like. A, Sorry, I was just going to say I like how it looks like a bigger thing than it is Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like a no, no, I think is that kind of the opposite of a TARDIS?
0: It looks bigger than it is because you guys touch so many people's uh, (laughs) Projects and interests and professions
1: those allegations were never proven
0: So it is bigger than it seems. I mean, it's You you do you do an awesome job keep on even OK, on.
1: well, that's the compliment I was fishing for. So thanks, guys. <laughs> How about you? you read, I mean, what accomplishments me like are you,
2: what most what accomplishments are you mostly proud of? I mean, going back to the stuff that you've been doing.
0: Translation, I'm most, pr- I guess I'm the maybe not the most proud, but the most satisfied that I never dove in too deeply to any one thing. I really, I mean, I, you know, this is something that actually Chris and and Matt and I have talked about before, but, you know, you get either, you know, you're the master of none, the jack of all trades, right? So, I like to exist in a space where I can translate between fields or ideas or professions or whatever it is, Um, and I enjoy highlighting that to other people doing it in a public facing way, right? So whether that's like uh, explaining deep, deep concepts to customers or uh, presenting deep concepts in a fun way to specialists, um, public facing translation. That's what I'm proud of.
1: Do you you think it's underrated that sort of um, jack of all trades skill set if that's the skill set it's like um it's the anti-skill set yeah it's a a non-superpower
0: um no and i don't necessarily i certainly would never recommend that anyone attempt to go down that path (laughs) the good stuff is in the details right but but i don't know know. i'd staying on top of some of the depth and Working your way across it is interesting too.
2: To piggyback on that question for both of you again, what are you not
0: very good at? Nice depth.
1: Nice question. <laughs> Why don't we
0: ask these good questions on our show? Matt, you go first.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely depth and yeah. and focus. I mean that you know, I'm not only, I mean, it's not that I'm not good at it. I'm 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 incapable of it. You know, it's like saying I'm, I'm I'm not good at, um, you know, free diving. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, and and I I suppose I feel a sort of slightly rueful, um, uh, like I do feel like that. I I wonder or a um, ping pong between feeling like it's a bug and a feature, right? So I, I admire people who have the focus and capacity intellectual capacity um that's completely different from whatever intellectual capacity i have um to stick at something and dig into it year on year yeah going with that sorry grammar if that's, feel like, i feel for like i feel like we should yeah um, second
0: second thing I'm second worst thing
1: sales oh yeah good one past,
0: past three years have been hard hard for me man I've been uh, s- just trying to sell you know and uh, just getting shut down a lot and I guess that's just part of the, the trade and I just got finished saying that I enjoyed doing this public-facing translation thing, but uh, when you do it so many times, and it, you know you get a zero instead of a one or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. it begins. <laughs> it begins to feel like this. You know, you need to upgrade something. Um, so, 2018. In fact, this is one of my non-New Year's resolutions or whatever. But 20 2018 is is. I'm, actively uh learning to sell better okay and i'm doing that from people who are better than me in that field
1: yeah there's definitely a a, it is a real skill and i've i've met the kind of sales folks that i really admire and others that are really good at it but i don't admire (laughs) yeah you know what i mean you know because there are there is a sort of type of salesperson who will do and say anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's remarkable actually. It's almost, I mean, it is essentially like a social disorder uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that has amazing or can have amazingly powerful, positive, impactful results on a company, um, but it's not necessarily, um, you know, building awesome relationships or anything. Um, But I have mm-hmm. met great salespeople who um, have, Maintain integrity at the sort of things that I care about. Yeah, it's a real, uh, I, I sort of got into a bit of sales at, at, when I was at Landmark Halliburton and, and didn't enjoy it. Like, like Graham, I'm horrible at it. I'm not a business person at all. I have no, Well, focus. I don't, I don't mean
0: just sales for a company. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, persuasive uh, and like on air persuasive argumentative capability. I mean, like I, the problem for me is that I'm I I'm a chit chatter. Like I want to. That's why we have this stupid radio show. Like I want to hear what people are doing and like find out about the details and stuff. But uh, getting to the end, setting I mean, quantifying the end goal and getting there sometimes is a stretch.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't classify you as a chit chatter though. There's more no, no, because I, I feel like a chit chatter doesn't really care about the content of the conversation but I, I I think that is important to you and because actually I would say it's a feature of certain kinds of salespeople that they are supreme chit chatters and it all the chit chat is butter and it, it do you know what I mean like it's it's uh it's v- <laughs> I don't want to say vacuous but I mean it's empty and um it's not
2: one sided. That's how I feel. I mean, it's right. I mean, just going back to what you were saying, like we can actually have a conversation and build up on it. So
1: totally. And that's so conversation is different from chit chat. I think mm-hmm. just, you know, don't, don't give yourself a hard time, Graham.
0: Well, I'm perfectly fine with being a chit chat, <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> I like it. What scares you? What is this? The Inquisition. These are the easy questions.
1: I'm not here. These are the easy <laughs> questions.
0: My word! This is ridiculous. Um,
1: I will I let I the person driving. Stunt driving. Make, uh, stunt stunt <laughs> driving. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, come on! You, you well, you're I, so well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, um, well, I don't like scary movies. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I don't watch horror movies. Um, And, you know, not to, um, I mean, the things that keep me awake at night, I guess, I mean, obviously anything, anything to do with my kids, I'm very sensitive about that (laughs) kind of take after my mother in that regard, unfortunately. Uh, And business wise, I mean, I probably do stress out more than I ought to about business stuff like 2014 was uh, brutal. Yeah, was it 15, I can't I remember, but the, the year of the downturn was, um, I didn't enjoy it at all. It didn't go well with my uh, personality. and um, That's you know, why we so became I, friends. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I hate having to worry about cash flow and stuff. And it's the one thing that I really struggle with with Agile, actually, is is sort of the temptation of the capacity that growing brings you but completely tempered almost entirely tempered (laughs) by the thought of having pay like monthly payroll in the kind of many digits so that if you miss sales like people are losing jobs and that's having a massive impact on people's lives and uh, i i i massively admire people who have built companies where you know dozens of people are employed like people like sebastian and uh, eric jones and thought where it's like million-dollar-plus payrolls, and that just must be incredibly hard. Yeah.
2: So I guess kind of piggybacking on that and going into our next segment about what you guys are doing now. Wait, you what? Agile.
0: <laughs> what um, are we doing next in Agile, Matt? What, what are we that,
2: what, doing
0: next? <laughs> I get to even wear an saying. Agile badge. That's the last hackathon. What? They gave me one.
2: One of the big things that happens with Agile, like you have an incredible blog that you have a lot of followers. Uh, what is that process that goes behind your blogging?
1: <laughs> yeah, let's call it a process. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I've been a bit, at the beginning, okay, at the beginning, it was an absolutely, uh, it was the thing I was looking forward to most about not working at an oil and gas company. Weirdly, although actually I later found out there were bloggers at ConocoPhillips. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michaela Raya, who's a sedimentologist, had been blogging for quite a while. It turned out on like Romanian geology and wine and stuff. I don't think she's doing it anymore. Anyway, it, I felt restricted by my employment and couldn't wait to blog. And I just had... I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say hundreds of things I wanted to write. <laughs> it's incredibly vain and um, self-important of me. but um, Okay, let's put it this way. I, the things that I wanted to share, you know, I, I was desperate to, and I um, was driven and essentially had to hold myself back. And now, I don't want to say it's a chore, um, but the I, I still have a hundred and... 50 draft posts or something waiting to be written or half written or just notes or whatever um that i can't you know that i do want to share i've sort of raised the bar on myself a bit like the posts are a lot harder to write now i was satisfied with a couple of paragraphs in the beginning and now it's like there's references and i'm drawing diagrams and
0: diagrams will kill you
1: yeah like writing multiple notebooks and stuff um So I do do need to keep an eye on that. But um, I I find it, I don't know, I find it very satisfying. I love connecting with people through the blog and I get emails about having helped someone. I absolutely love that. That's what I live for, basically. Well, so aside from the blogging, uh, there was multiple
2: questions on this. A lot of our listeners want to know how you guys manage juggling a company or doing blogs or running hackathons or keeping a huge social media presence uh maintaining various open projects and still manage to have a life how do you guys do it where do you get this energy from
0: <laughs> well um i don't know like i think we're both just energetic people it's not something, I mean, Matt, Matt's extracurricular activities are really curricular activities. Yeah. My extracurricular activities try to be curricular activities. They try to, you know, I, I would like them all to focus on projects that that generate revenue eventually. And in most cases, when I'm picking projects to do, there's at least some tangential aspect of the, whatever it is, blog post or open source code that I'm writing or whatever, that I can use later on for for making money, um, and then just lots of coffee.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't even drink coffee anymore. Don't know what's wrong with me. Seriously, we, I mean, four different people asked about that in
2: general. <laughs> you guys managed to do so many things, so.
1: I don't know. I, 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 you know what? I think I actually just think part of it is persistence masquerading as productivity. I mean, yeah. stupid, just, pure
0: stupidity, I think.
1: Yeah. Of... <laughs> like if you keep something up for long enough, you, you, it starts to look like, um, you've, you produce a lot, but it's actually just like, no, I've just been doing this for a very long time. I mean, um, I think that's part of it, you know, and the other thing is I don't spend a lot of time doing a lot (laughs) else, to be honest. I mean, if I'm not uh, at here, uh, um, you know, at my computer working, I'm, you know, working on the books or hacking around on other things, don't really watch TV. Um, I I, I only work on planes... Like I, like when I'm traveling, all I do is work basically, and, it's, I, and I say that. But there was a bunch of stuff on Twitter this week about academics, I guess, showing off about working sixty hours a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I and and I get the reaction against that because it sounds ridiculous and it's unhealthy and so on. Um, but I I bet a substantial number of those academics, and I would count myself as one of these people. Just don't think of it as work. It's, just, yeah. it's not work. And, and I, I, when I'm doing my, uh, like, going through receipts and doing my expenses and stuff for a client, that's work, yeah. But mm-hmm. I don't do more than a few hours of that a week. And Everything else I do, I'm basically just messing about. <laughs> that's, the thing. <laughs> that's the
0: thing I like best about being over here at expiro yeah, I don't have to, I get to do bet. all that fun stuff and I don't have to like write invoices and deal there with you go. accounting.
1: So, well, and actually, so a book that, um, another book that people kind of react against a bit is The Four Hour Work Week. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, Tim something. Um, because I think it, it um, downplays the idea that you should. Apply yourself to something And some people see it as kind of being in the opposite Of being a craftsman Because it's very kind of opportunist But the And I I consider myself something of a craftsman As a scientist kind of thing Because I work at my craft uh, And I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist And you know I like the idea of getting better at things But the four hour work week Changed how I thought about my time So another Other things that I never do is I don't repair stuff around the house I don't do things in the garden I'm not very good at those things I don't enjoy them and it's I just it's better for me to use money to pay people to do that stuff so I, that okay. can potentially freeze a massive amount of your time I and mean, basically I value my time at like $200 an hour and that's like if if I'm spending time on something and it's Dude, that sounds really kind of uh, stupid when I say it out loud, but I mean, it's a way of making decisions about what you spend your time on, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's hugely important.
1: I, I, yeah,
0: I mean, I, I, every, certainly everybody who is has been or is self-employed is thinking along those exact same lines. But I think that it's also important for employees to think that way because your time is, it really is worth more than money even i mean yeah. it's worth productivity right it's totally beautiful. and not and not even just productivity towards something that a company is doing but product like actual stuff that is valuable for people um yeah. so yeah i i agree i i cut out and i, I operate the same way as you man I, I cut out things that are inefficient
1: okay yeah. And you know, I don't, I I, I just I I, like, you know, I just spent 45 minutes before coming here, reading Harry Potter to my son. I, I, I obviously that is not a financial transaction. I derive more than $200 an hour worth of pleasure and satisfaction out of doing that, you know, just in case people are thinking, wait a second, <laughs> uh, this doesn't work out. How, why do you sleep? Um, but yeah, it's, Uh, it's just a it's a it's a kind of a what would you call it like a mind hack or whatever to think about what you spend time on I'm totally with with grandma on that thing about employees I mean you look at oh man I mean when I think back at the time he suspended meetings I mean it blows my mind I don't think it's an exaggeration to say there's 20 hours a week like if you're in any kind of supervisory role doing anything like uh, you know um i was like an advisor i mean a lot of that time is unproductive I'm, you know i'm not going to say all of it is because good stuff happens in meetings occasionally and some of them are important but boy we i mean we burn time on stuff like crazy in a corporate environment
2: okay. <laughs> Well, so speaking from getting a lot of energy and stuff like that, one of the very successful things that the two of you have managed to do was to come up with this hackathon that's been going around for a couple of years now. Not me. That was all Matt. Um, So that's all Matt. Uh, Point being is that, I mean, how how did that process come about? Like, where did the idea of like, okay, not only am I doing blogging and running a company, but hey, let's do a hackathon as
1: well. And listeners want to know when the next ones are. (laughs) Don't I? I feel like I just, I'm a broken record on the hackathons. But yeah, I, Salt Lake City. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, next one's Salt Lake in May. Um, They're all on. And I guess there's one in Copenhagen, right? Copenhagen in June. And there'll Mm -hmm. be one in Anaheim, I think, at, just before SCG. Um, One of our listeners wanted to know when's the next one in Calgary. Yeah, Calgary has been a little bit neglected. Um, don't know why we found it. Well, we know we we actually we've made stuff fly in Calgary. Um, I don't know why we don't spend more time there. Actually, um, we don't. We never get any clients there. We've had like one client in Calgary. I don't get it. i feel, kind of try not to take this personally because I lived and worked there for ten years. But um, we just get no work there. I wish we were there more often.
2: But I mean, at one point, you're
1: how did they come about? Though, that's well, we um, uh, I guess Agile started off being quite uh, interested in knowledge sharing. That was kind of how we made our first dollar. And um, I was very into into knowledge sharing for many years, uh, having been involved in the geophysics network at Conoco. And um, know that's really where the blogging and the social media stuff came from i mean it it was this desire to connect and, and have conversations um so we ran an event at the cseg cspg conference in may 2013 and um we asked a room full of people what are the big unsolved problems in in subsurface geoscience and we had this half a day conversation and um, at the end of it we uh, wanted to do something so we sort of stood up and said you know it's awesome we've got this list it's on the we put it on the web Um, and we wanted to openly and publicly commit to starting to attack these problems and the best way we could think of attacking them was to do a hackathon so that's how the first hackathon happened that fall um, in houston was basically as as a sort of response to the that that session. But I mean hackathon, I don't know when the first hackathon was, but I mean they've been around obviously for a lot like we certainly didn't come up with the idea of hackathons by means. No,
2: I completely understand We're, I think in general I wanted to know more about your hackathons. But I have a, I have a news
0: a news bullet point here. Um, this that. is hot off the press. And uh, Matt, I think you'll be pleased to hear this. Uh, we are, Xpiro is partnering with Our Ladies Austin to throw a Women in Tech Hackathon here in Austin sometime. <laughs> and we think it's going to, so it, it, it'll probably be in the summer, location TBD. Uh, okay. Nothing has been um, scheduled yet, uh, but we'll keep you up to date here on Disabled Radio and all over social media. So um, it's going to be an awesome event. Very excited about this.
1: Yeah, that's
2: great. So, so I guess now going to the more serious question. Since going back from that question about the hackathons, you said I guess at one point part of the reason the hackathons came up was because you had people had issues or had problems with particular things, and when it's solved, and then eventually the whole uh, idea of using a hackathon came about. Now it seems like you had you had you. You have success with these hackathons. So there are problems or there are issues that our industry currently has. So if there was one thing that our oil industry if there's one thing you could change, what would it be?
1: <laughs> yeah, Graham. Go on, Graham. <laughs> Well, he wasn't Graham. kidding about
0: the hard questions. Um I mean, there's definitely. I I, I feel like I'm going to steal Matt's answer if I say the thing that I was going to say. Um, No. No, But he stole my answer. No, for a little bit. He
1: forced me to come up with something else.
0: Yep. He stole my previous answer. So I'm going to use it because I truly believe in it. I think the biggest thing, and this is not. I think, let me, I'm not going to qualify that. I think the biggest thing is sharing. Again, this is knowledge sharing, the openness of. Uh, ideas, algorithms, data. Okay. Can you, I mean, you you would, you would literally transform not just the face of oil stuffs, but energy stuffs if, if these big oil companies would start sharing what they know about energy.
2: Mm -hmm. I don't, I think. For all the years that I've been in this industry, I've never heard so somebody say as many times saying something like, this is proprietary. Right. <laughs> people are on gas. No, you're right.
1: So it makes, um, it, sound, makes it sound like it's probably really, really special. <laughs> you definitely can't have this. It's too awesome to let you have. Well, this, this costs a lot of money for us to come up with this, that kind of thing. I think it makes people feel a bit better about their stuff if i show it to you you might think it's rubbish and find me out which and i that's what i love about like open source and github and the online community in general it's just like here's what i did and it's so um empowering and kind of humbling and people are so positive about it always like it is i can't say always because obviously there is a lot of grossness on the internet but i mean like if you if you make something and show it to people 99 percent of people are super positive about it and 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 many of those people needed it and are grateful like it's not just like oh yeah cool good job go you it's actually like Oh, amazing like thank goodness some you know somebody put that out like thank you and um, and you're like what but uh, but it was it was rubbish like I I nearly didn't bother I nearly just shredded it or whatever and one of the things that used to kill me um, was you know trying to get people to um, submit abstracts or whatever for conferences that kind of thing <laughs> anyway, um, and and the response you get is, oh, no one, no one be interested in my stuff, and it's like this weird kind of, I don't know. I guess it's a, it's humility. I, I think ge- people genuinely do think that people aren't interested, but there's sort of also it, the other side of that coin is that it's selfish, right? Yeah, it's like how dare you hang on to your stuff. Like other people need that insight or knowledge. Matt exists
0: far higher on the altruism spectrum than I do. And I, I we've, we've, everybody that listens to the show knows that. But my motivation is not only to shoot rainbows out at everyone, uh, <laughs> but is also to, to build things which are valuable and extract that value, right? So, um, my, my, another big motivator for me in this sort of openness movement or whatever is that we build better stuff if everybody is sharing. And when we build better stuff, we sell more stuff. So yes, it's nice to share your, your GitHub repo. And so you'll have a couple contributors or whatever, but, um, no one can use that commercially, right? It takes fit and polish. And so I, do gain a great deal of satisfaction by giving away open, this is code now particularly, or data, uh, but in the long run, it's also worth money to do that, I believe.
1: Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's definitely a strange dynamic about um, com- commercialization, like it, you know, someone on the internet, on Twitter today was saying kind of rolling their eyes at this startup, which has basically taken some sort of existing open source software, rolled it in a kind of new skin, turned it into a commercial offering. And then, and this is the bit that kind of, it rubs me up too, this kind of behavior, essentially use that as a vehicle to attract investment from mainly governments right that it started as an open source project yeah it's basically sort of and but you but it's this idea that you, when you wrap something up in in uh, marketing and commerce now it suddenly look and look like it's worth something mm-hmm. and um and then you can somewhat cynically use that as startups do to attract funding and Potentially, you don't even need customers or a business model. You have to say you have a business model, but um, it doesn't need to exist. Um, and, you know, especially governments at the moment are so, like, well, as usual, they're falling over themselves to fund things that look cool and sexy or whatever around, you know, uh, in, in this case, it was um, information management, but, I mean, it could be just as easily be machine learning. Um, I mean, you read all the time about a new startup attracting $10 million here, $25 million there for a machine learning offering in oil and gas. And some of their descriptions of what their technology does are absurd. I mean, they're completely impossible. Uh, And that doesn't matter. It's it's kind of like, you know, the little... Start up oil and gas companies that essentially just need to convince a, an, an investor or two for long enough to extract money from them. <laughs> what happens after that is really not that important.
0: What does that have to do with open source? The same thing exists without that. Uh,
1: I just feel like um, the same. The the. It, oh, I guess my point is that it's the same offering. Sometimes as something that is already open source that you can already use for free. But because it's commercial, it somehow looks legitimized and somehow has this different sheen on it that people are prepared to sort of invest in it. Whereas in open source world, often things, I mean, I take Wikipedia as a kind of example. I mean, people talk about it still quite disparagingly and it looks like a bit of a basket case, like it's full of kind of lonely, bearded guys hacking away in their bedrooms, but I mean, it's a massively influential website and I find it incredible that a lot of people use not just people corporations um, whose people depend on it every day don't donate to it I think that's one of the most scandalous things uh, going I mean and you know the corporations with massive Linux clusters aren't donating to the Linux Foundation aren't don- donating to the Python Foundation. I think it's appalling. It's a- a- amoral and unethical. And it's up to the technical people in those organizations to bring that sort of thing to, the, to light to those IT organizations and make it abundantly clear that, that that can't go on. Lead by example, I would say, and donate. And uh, strongly suggest that your employers do the same thing you know, that that was
0: a proper rant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, it just, I, I feel like just, we got this weird, we're in a weird, still a really weird relationship with commercial software.
2: Do you think people making this commercial software would not have to continually reinvent themselves or or, I just like
1: look at the relationship between most oil and gas companies and Microsoft. there's, There's no logic behind it. Look, it's, look at the create. look at SharePoint. SharePoint's a disaster. It's a horrible piece of software. Every single oil and gas company I've ever been in is trying to coerce it into doing ridiculous things like manage conversations, manage document databases for knowledge sharing purposes, act as a wiki. It's horrible at all of those things. Everybody knows that, but somehow it's more legitimate than the Clearly superior open source software (laughs) that everybody else kind of gets, right? It's not just oil and gas. I'm sure it's the same in banking and stuff. Somehow Microsoft has this sheen of legitimacy as a corporation with lawyers and and marketing. I I don't get it. It's weird. So it must be a weird human kind of just a fundamental thing that we have with like paying for stuff that says, Oh, this is valuable. Right? I, this is obviously I'm not this. Uh, I realized that I'm not like a sage or anything. I mean, look at why, why do people buy Jaguars and Lamborghinis, right? It's just a vehicle. But it's kind of an extension of that, isn't it?
2: Oh, I'm just glad I got you in
1: a rant. That's Trek. But you were asking what, what the oil industry should change. I, I, I like yeah, exactly. Thompson. I, I think as, uh, I, I feel sorry, no, that right. there's not a better orientation of the oil and gas industry towards society and serving society. And I, I, I that makes me sad, you know, so it, it makes me sad that it, I tell you what really makes me sad and that's feeling embarrassed. Cause I do feel embarrassed about working in oil and gas when it's something that we all depend on so much and we've, we really messed up when, um, when we tried to fight the green movement, which has many excellent points that we should definitely listen to, right? And uh, in in polarizing ourselves against that movement, we look like a bunch of tossers.
2: So, <laughs> in that same think- line of thinking, uh, speaking of openness, so if if you actually had like one piece of data that somebody would consider proprietary, and if you could make it openly available, what would that be then? Like, what's.
1: Well, I mean, I th- there is quite a lot of data around. The problem with a lot of the data, um, well, I the mean, two is problems, the, I think. Is the,
2: is the problem with openness the sharing of the process, or is the big hold up the data itself?
1: well b- both i mean is it's a general it's a general problem but with data specifically um the, the 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 problem is that a lot of the data that exists is not sort of high dimensional enough so there's like um seismic but no well logs or well logs but no core core descriptions but no production data like there's v- very few data sets around i don't know of any in fact where uh, there's a publicly available full depth data set. And it's it's a real problem, actually. We used to hire people and go to consortiums and stuff for ConocoPhillips, and it's like, you'd have given people this data to work on, like, you know, they've got your 3D, say, and then they go and like spend, I don't know, 10 person years interpreting it and present their results back to you with these PhDs that they funded, And you're sitting there going, yeah, that's all great. But you don't have any of the production data or the core. So don't you, (laughs) do you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Well, this is not just a problem that's (laughs) endemic to the oil industry. There's no, I guess not any, I mean, we're discussing a Common theme, a horizontal theme across industries, right? And that's like the canonicalization of your information. Of, of your hmm. organization's information, and yes, it gets the problem gets deeper and more complicated when the organization gets bigger. But um, forming some sort of system, which that's not true, using some sort of system which disseminates information in some linked, meaningful ways is, is the key. So
2: you you touched on the, on the topic of. Companies having all this data and just passing it off to people to do the work. I guess that kind of goes into a question one of the listeners had. If you had to redesign how a consortium model works at, for university funding in applied geophysics, how would you do it?
0: <laughs> that's for Matt. I'm out of the oil biz.
2: I mean, in general, I mean that's. It seems to me like a lot of the times, like either A, you have the data, you just don't have the time. You're trying to, you know, ultimately, you may not have the time to do it, and you just have other things to worry about. So you pass it on to other people to do the work. Is there a better process to do this then?
1: Um, Well, I mean, yeah, for me, I mean, there's probably all sorts of ways of coming at that question, but I mean, one thing that I think we don't do very well is collaborate. So there's a lot of, like, starting a thing over there and then maybe visiting it once a year and they come visit once a year or maybe you get an intern for two months. Um, I think it would be much better to create a deeper connection between the applied side and the theoretical side in consortiums by... And that probably means moving people around, which I recognize has got logistical issues associated with it. But um, sending the professionals from the funding organization into the research group, for example, for like weeks on end, maybe months, doing the same thing with the researchers, embedding them. Like, like you know, for all the online stuff that I do and go on about, fundamentally, face-to-face collaboration is where it's that's where the real awesome stuff happens and um finding a way to do more of that i think would be a really good start i cut what i used to call them internships and outternships like Mm -hmm. and and those need to get more frequent and meaningful um so that there's more trust basically like uh, you know more openness on the on the collaborative on the project I don't think it, it's about it money. the end.
2: It seems to me that that your answer kind of segues to what training should be for new professionals. And uh, I guess kind of going on that topic, it just seems to me like over the last couple of years, the our industry has shifted more into this whole need for uh, data science and coders. Uh, Years ago, uh, I guess the the listener commented how at Aapg someone stood up during a and A session and said that data science was a big black box of nonsense, and that no one can stand up in front of their managers and defend its conclusions. Uh, would you say that's how training is going nowadays with regards to or data science? I mean. <clears throat> Feel free to turn in, Graham. I mean, this is kind of what you're doing now.
0: Yep. I would suggest that we what we need is not more data scientists. What we need is more curious people. The only thing that distinguishes someone calling them data scientists from someone doing the putting the picking around in Microsoft Excel is curiosity. Um, invest. Investigate. If you have a question, follow up. Figure, you know, start start playing with your crazy harebrained ideas. I mean, that, that's, that's what a data scientist does, right? Um, and yes, there are some barriers to entry. You have to know some technical things, but I would suggest that in the true spirit of scientific investigation that even, even people who've never touched a computer could call themselves data scientists curiosity investigate
1: how do you train people to do that you don't you can't
0: uh-uh. really? no i don't think so okay. i think that i don't think you can and i mean not every person needs to do that right there, there are there's plenty of need for people to pick a thing and go forward on that thing, right? That's most of how things get done in, in, in industry. And I think that that's, that's perfectly fine. If that's what you want to do, if many people are very happy getting assigned a problem and figuring out how to you know implement it
1: was, what sort of training, like how does Xperia do do training? Is it, is there a formal system? Is it, sort of every person for themselves, or? It depends.
0: Yes, there is a semi-formal system. um, But it depends on what kind of work you're going to be doing. So for instance, we'll take a front-end developer, right? So um, that person would work for a month or two months with a front-end developer. And then they'd work with a UX designer. And then they'd work in conjunction with the back-end team and you kind of go around this cycle and the whole time you're, you're touching real projects, but you're under the tutelage of a guide.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's on the job then? Yep. Sounds like yes. it's, it, yeah. And this is um, working kind of in the next cubicle or this is like pair programming or what's the level of contact?
0: Um, this is working this is collaborating on projects in some cases and probably initially not what I would call a pair programming exercises but uh, one-on-one code reviews let's say once a day or three times a day or something tick 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 and then as you develop into the role you you, you scale back that that um, oversight, I guess, but you still have these meetings and you still do have review. Um, the, I, I will say that this company in particular is not an, a, is not the best example of how to do training. Most of the employees we have are pretty senior level, like have been lots and lots of experience doing what they do before they right. come to Xperia. But that's not to say you don't need to get up to speed on projects that are going on and the ways we do things. You
1: know. Now we do How have do, interns, right? Yeah. How do you um, when you want to learn something new? Are you you're a you're a bit of a book guy, aren't you? You like to read read the book. Do you do you do any MOOCs or um, do any other classes of any kind, or just do by hacking? Learn Most by of
0: ninety percent of what I do is just by fi- is by doing it. You know, just finding something. And this is this kind of goes back to the question about side projects, right? So if I don't, if I don't know how to do something, I'm gonna go find an example of it and I'm gonna to try to break it and then I'm gonna to try to fix it. However, I have taken plenty of Coursera courses. I've, you know, as you say, I read lots of books, literature every day um, in a variety of spaces, right? Um, but mostly literature searches only inspire ideas, right? And then you have to really go and dig into the thing.
1: Mm.
0: What else which, presentations? Sure. I think that presentations are worth a lot. I think going to meetups and conference sessions. Here we go. Here comes another rant. Conference sessions are worth something. I mean, you sit there for an hour and you don't learn much, right? But it it's another inspirational tool to go learn and investigate on your own. Mm. Mm.
1: Which um, which Coursera courses have you done? And do you recommend any in particular? So
0: I have done a huge variety ranging from just for fun uh, stuff like abstract algebra courses all the way through things that apply directly to work that are. um, So I've done pieces of uh, Andrew Ng's deep learning course. So in particular, there's a section in there about uh, triplet losses and doing one-shot learning. And so i actually went through and did the exercises and everything in that part of the uh that part of the course now admittedly i t- i take pieces from these courses right i don't go through the entire thing right and maybe that's a mistake
1: yeah i don't know i'm i'm i've actually just uh started the last segment of the deeplearning.ai mm-hmm. deep learning specialization mm-hmm. um and um, I'm glad I did it. I, I, I was partly motivated by the fact that we're doing a lot of teaching at the moment, and um, so I've been really keen to like see other people's teaching styles and you know tricks they use and um, methods and so on. And that was part of the motivation. But I also just you know was curious about because I, I really don't have much theoretical basis for any of this stuff and I'm you know, as many listeners will know, I've been sort of trying to teach myself linear algebra for the last couple of years. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad I've done it. It's been really, really good. I really like his style. Um, I like the equation representation that he sort of tends to favor. Um, I get confused by a lot of the diagrams of, of neural networks and find the equations a bit easier to look at somehow. Um, and, I, and yeah, it's been, I wouldn't say mind-blowing, but mind-opening, at least. And this the last segment's cool because it's uh, sequence learning, which has um, been my sort of interest, really, for the last uh, little while. Really? So, yeah.
0: For what?
1: Um, well, I mean, I, I just feel like, you know, we look at a lot of time series and, uh, in, in geoscience, whether it's geological time series or recording time series. And I feel like you're typifying the difference
0: between the two of us right now. Cause I'm like, what did you want to learn that for? And you're like, well, I was just interested.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess I don't know what I want to learn it for, but I, I feel like, um, some kind of, uh recurrence i guess you'd call it in the sort of neural network world will play into how we solve problems in geoscience where there's not just temporal dependency but spatial dependencies um so the ideas like recurrence and convolution i think are, are going to be key and
0: you can you can help uh, zoltan and i work on the stream predictor
1: yeah that's a really neat problem this isn't
0: in the this isn't in the news bullets but i'll say it real quick in case anybody wants to join in we Zoltan and I are, yeah, and he's he's been working on this problem for a long time. I'm just jumping in as a novice, but he wants to figure out how streams meander over time, how um how that changes in the temporal domain, and uh, I, I I guess somewhat naively he just he started we started chit chatting about it one day using uh, deep learning to play into this experiment, and so we had a, a hack session Saturday night, and I'm on board, baby. I'm going to build some <laughs> networks, he's prepping data, it's going to be cool. Yeah. There's a repo. Awesome. If I think of it I'll link it.
1: Well, he's the he's the meander guy. So um Most Definitely. Yeah, that's it's really neat and uh Yeah, anyway, so we'll we'll, we'll see where that goes, but um yeah, I've, I've been enjoying Coursera and I also recommend Udacity uh, yes. their courses. I've um you know, I've said many times that the introduction to computer science with David Evans, it, it sounds really crass, but I mean, it changed my life, really. It, it, it was the it was the thing that turned me from being a, a dabbler into someone who really wanted to learn how to program well, which I can't do, but <laughs> I aim to uh, keep getting better. Um Really excellent course and he, he's a fantastic teacher, I would suggest. Top tip.
2: Well, gentlemen, uh, we've been doing this for a little bit over an hour and we still have a lot of questions to go through. But either way, like I said, this is something that Matt and Graham can answer uh, looking at the show notes. But point being, we probably need to start winding down. I, I do have uh, one, a couple of quick questions really quick that shouldn't take a, a whole lot of more minutes. Uh, one of our viewers wanted to know, what other podcasts or blogs do you subscribe to,
0: and why? Oh, my favorite of all time is Car Talk. I've said I think I've said that a couple of times on the show, but I I love Car Talk. It's, I guess I was drawn to the content because as even as a kid I was working on mechanical things, engines and stuff, and uh, I just love. And yeah, it's there's no you're not learning a whole lot of content, but the guys are hilarious, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. So that's my
1: favorite. That, it's a podcast. Yep. Um have I haven't heard of car talk. I, I I feel like I have heard of it, but I don't know why. Because um, I've said it three times
0: on your radio show.
1: <laughs> okay, maybe that's all it is. Car talk. Yeah. I've I've definitely never heard it. Um I don't know anything about cars <laughs> at all. Um <laughs> is there, <laughs> the show yeah. isn't actually
0: about cars, it's about life. <laughs>
1: oh, okay cars are a well, vehicle. I should, I should give it a try. Vehicle. See no, no, did? definitely. Did anybody see what I did there? Yeah, it's really good.
2: Well, one of the segments that we have in this in the podcast is we talked about the current books that we are reading. I'm going to change it up a little bit on the two of you and a viewer yeah. a, a listener wanted to know what is your favorite book?
0: Nice. That's really that is a really hard question. Um
2: that's why I'm here to ask you these questions.
0: I read atlas shrugged when i was a young man becoming a professional person and that that really had a big influence on me um that that's right up there at the top of the list i'm I'm going with uh atlas shrugged
1: Hmm. i have not read that what are you
0: kidding me (laughs) don't read it matt if you read it you're gonna man your whole personality is gonna change don't do it stay you stay you baby
1: <laughs> stay focused come on um oh man i find it incredibly difficult to pick a single book i can't even say what i mean if, if it's the thing i've read most often it's going to be a tintin book <laughs> i really true. like tintin it's easier to
0: say things about books that were further in your earlier in your life right because you were more yeah. impressionable.
1: I guess that's right. Yeah, I mean, the things that had a big impact on me, Lord of the Flies, The Outsider. Um, what else? Uh, Edward Tufty. Like, do I do love those books. Like, if there was a book that I kind of... Wish I'd written it would be like envisioning information or something like that by Edward Tufte. Like I'm kind of jealous of those books. I mm. think I think they're, I think they're a, a, amazing accomplishments. They are. Mm. Um. Well, yes. Graham. Graham. Yeah. What is your What is your
2: favorite color and speed of African swallow?
0: Full throttle.
2: <laughs> well, guys, uh, thank you for coming on tonight. That's our show. Please join us next time for episode number 72, which Tom... have we have a choice? Matt, <laughs> Matt, sign us off.
1: <laughs> Why would you do that? What, oh, there goes Graham. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you very much, Fernando, you did an awesome job. He's slightly better at hosting than me uh, and uh, slightly even better than Graham, I dare say.